Hello listeners, a friendly reminder that the companies and topics discussed on this podcast are general advice only. Please consult an advisor or accountant for any personal advice. Hello, hello. I hope you are enjoying your day wherever you find yourself listening to the Market Pulse podcast. What a week it's been. It has it has been a week uh, here in or at least here in Australia, Facebook pulling the cord on new sharing for Australians who use the platform so you can't like share news links and if you go to something like I don't know ABC like Facebook page or something like that or Channel 9 or whatever it is there's just nothing there it's kind of it's just weirdly blank what else happened former president Donald Trump was acquitted by the Senate for his under the impeachment trial it's the second time this has happened for Trump and as cynical as it sounds it was always going to happen because voting on impeachment is almost entirely on partisan lines. However, seven Republican senators did vote guilty. However, you need more than just um, just over 50% majority to impeach. You need at least two-thirds majority in the Senate or 67 votes. And they were still, they being the Democrats, being 10 shy of that still. So... Uh, you have to keep in mind that, and when you look at polls, it's really interesting. It's well, again, it's not really surprising, I don't think, but it, it's really interesting that you know, Trump is, yes, he's gone from the president position, but the power he wields is so significant. He is by far the most popular figure in the party, by far the most popular figure, and these other people that are, you know, they get put up. I guess in the media spotlight for being the next people that are going to you know run in 2024 for president like a Nikki Haley or someone like that they just are nowhere near as popular as Trump but like if if he ran again I would be putting my money that he wins the primary again um it, it I guess it just comes down to if he uh wins again I know there's a few few more years um between now and then but yeah that's that's going to be something fascinating to watch. But anyway, I'm not going to really talk about Facebook or Trump politics stuff in the US. There's been some interesting economic stuff, but to be honest, I'm kind of parking it for now because just like last week, there's so much reporting season news to go through. There's just so much out there and that is really what we're going to continue going on. So this is almost in some ways, going to be like a part two of last week's episode. So on that note, let's kick it off. As always, you are listening to the Market Pulse podcast. My name is Dion. This is episode 47, the Cancun edition. Well, as always, we will kick the show off by looking at how the market went for the week that was. Now, it wasn't a great time, slightly down again. So the ASX 200 was down 0.2%. Over in the US, it was a similar tail. The S&P 500 down 0.7%. The NASDAQ a bit worse, down 1.65%. Cool. Well, like I said uh, in the intro, plenty of reporting season still going on and there will be in the this coming week as well lots of news still filtering out kind of had to pick and choose what to talk about here so we're going to miss out on a few things but I guess we can always circle back to them 
the coming weeks, maybe when there's a little bit less news going on. But this week, or this episode, sorry, I'm going to start with Domino's because they are one that we've checked before on this podcast. Actually, the last time I spoke about them was in August last year. That was episode 25, the Dear Diary edition of the podcast because they had at that time reported their full financial year results and there was some pretty interesting takeaways. No no pun intended there from their full, that was from their full financial year 2020 results. Back then, they kind of flagged some of the badder stuff being like higher costs because they had to ensure their, their, you know, their stores and their staff had the right kind of PPE equipment, personal protective equipment, of course, because their business and their pizzas were still very popular, especially during lockdowns. And there was also this other growth story going on in overseas markets. Notably, I mentioned in that episode about just over just over 70 stores had been opened in that specific financial year in Japan. And continuing on that Japan trend, which has been very successful for Domino's, actually just a quick point, which I had no I had no idea it was even this close until I actually read their half-year results that they came to the market with this week, that in September last year, so September 2021, during that month, that's when Japan surpassed the number of total Domino's stores uh, that Australia has. So it, it now actually has more stores than Australia. And I actually didn't know it was all happening that fast over there. I knew, I knew it was a big growth point for them, but but I guess obviously relative to population, it's a bit different. You know, Japan has like 100 million more people than Australia has in terms of people. So yes, of course, they were going to um, have more stores at the end of the day. But it's obviously obviously a good point for them. It means it's still going successfully and we'll stay on the Japan factor for a moment and then we'll just talk about the sort of broader Domino's results. So they opened 68 new stores in the half year so far. So July to December last year. And that 68 in Japan is the biggest chunk of their overall new stores that they opened because in the total for the half, they opened 131 stores in total. The other kind of two growth spots for them in terms of store openings were France and Germany. Saying on Japan still, so total network sales across the Japan market were up 42.6%. If you compare that to the same period in the previous financial year, so the first half of the previous financial year, the growth then was 12.2%. So a, a significant lift in network sales in Japan. And that boost to the Japan market revenue also means they actually lifted their EBIT, or uh, that stands for earnings before interest and taxes, by 106% or 106.6% specifically in Japan alone. So that was the biggest boost of earnings for Domino's across all their markets. So a very significant growth story there uh, in Japan. Now, if you step back and look at the whole Domino's picture, so total network sales for the half grew by 16.5% compared to the the prior corresponding period. um, And that was 260 million it grew by. And that meant that the total sales for the half came in at about $1.85 billion. The EBIT figure I just mentioned before for just Japan, for the entire network, it was up $37.4 million half on half and the underlying net profit after tax up $23.7 million for Domino's. In terms of what shareholders get out of that, they actually declared an 88.4 cent per share dividend, which was actually a lift of about just over 30% compared to the dividend they paid in the prior half. 
Now, I don't own um, Domino's shares myself. It's admittedly not not one that I actually watch a great deal, to be honest, but I tend to check in with companies like this during a reporting season, just merely out of an interest. But Domino's trading, so their, their ticker code on the ASX DMP, on that's, um, it, I mean, it's been really... It's been really good over the past 12 months. So year to date, so just in 2021 alone, it's already up about 22% just for the year. Uh, granted, a fair chunk of that came this week in the last couple of weeks, sorry, when they've announced their results. And actually for some perspective, I guess, related to that market sell-off in March last year, the bottom that they hit at that point was about $44.75 per share. And they actually closed this week at $107.68 a share. So that's like a 140% gain from the point they were in March 2020. So that is Domino's Pizza. And just to clarify what I've been talking about as well, this is not related to Domino's Pizza in the US. There is a Domino's Pizza that's listed, the company is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. That is separate. The one that we are talking about here is Domino's that we know in Australia and New Zealand. It's the biggest franchisee of that American brand and our Domino's as in Australia and New Zealand also has exclusive rights to operate that franchise in some of those countries I mentioned. So Japan, France, Germany, I think some more, some of the smaller ones also like Netherlands and Denmark are also part of that. So, but it's not related to the US Domino's. Look, and Domino's is not something I'm personally going to be jumping off my seat to invest in. I kind of watch with a little bit of interest, but I'm also curious to see how they navigate COVID and obviously it's been quite good and especially in markets like Japan, they're still able to grow significantly, especially during a tough year that was for many businesses last year. But overall, I think a pretty good update from Domino's, something I think if you're a shareholder, you'd be pretty happy with and trending in the right direction, that's for sure. Let's jump to another one that has done well and really shot it out of the park last year and specifically this half financial year so far and that is West Farmers. So came out with their half year results on Thursday. So West Farmers, big conglomerates made up of many moving parts. If you're a little bit unfamiliar, they are the owners of Bunnings. They own Kmart Group, which of course is Kmart, but it also includes Target as well as catch.com.au, the website. I actually only just recently used catch.com.au for the first time to buy like a phone screen protector thing. And so it's it's part of that, that Kmart group under West Farmers now. And also the other big brand that people know about West Farmers is Officeworks. Then they kind of have this other part of West Farmers under what's called West Farmers Chemicals, Energy and Fertilizers. So it's like this chemical side of their business industrial chemicals and then they have this other one which is industrial safety brands uh, one of the biggest ones that sits under that part is Blackwoods which is like a industrial supplier of you know, workwear tools, safety gear things like that but as you might rightly imagine the biggest hitters for West Farmers are those first few I mentioned so Bunnings, Kmart specifically not, not really as much Target but Bunnings, Kmart and Officeworks especially Bunnings and Kmart Overall for West Farmers revenue was up 16.6% and net profit after tax. And this figure it excludes significant items that they highlight like some costs in terms of that cost them in restructuring the Kmart group. 
So if you exclude that, net profit after tax was up 25.5%. So that is massive for West Farmers. And the company also announced an interim fully frank dividend of 88% per share, which is a pretty decent jump from their previous half-year interim dividend, which was 75 cents at the time. We'll look at some of the little parts of West Farmers. So looking at Bunnings, I was looking at their presentation and their report. So particularly strong growth in the sales for garden and outdoor living category under Bunnings. They did flag for Bunnings specifically about $16 million in additional costs for things like cleaning, security, and PPE for their staff just due to COVID. So kind of similar to what's going on with Domino's there. If you went into a Bunnings during the COVID period, they I thought that they were one of the businesses that took it really seriously. And they actually noted that they had about 6,000 additional team members just to service this huge increased demand that they had during the period. The Kmart group also performed quite well, came up with comparable sales growth of just a smidge over 9% and target at 13%. Although emphasis that Kmart is the, the stronger performer overall between those two. And on that note, they said they've converted 12 large format target stores to Kmart's. They've also converted seven target country stores, so the more regional, smaller targets, to what they call K-Hubs, which is kind of like this combo offering of everything that's Kmart group, including catch.com.au. I'll circle back to what I mean by that in just a sec because I'll just note one of the headline figures for catch.com.au was that uh, they had a 95.6% growth in transaction value for the half, so that's a good indicator of increased popularity, increased spending, also more that when that, that would come from having more users on their website too. So they say they had a total of 2.9 million active customers as of 31st of December. Now on that note, and this kind of relates back to what I mentioned about those target countries becoming K-hubs, they've started to roll out this thing where you can say buy something from catch.com.au and you can opt to say click and collect it, but catch.com.au don't have stores but you can actually click click and collect it at a Target or Kmart. So that's I don't think that's everywhere, but that's something they're, they're trying and focusing on. So combining those various channels there, uh, which is pretty interesting. Now, one big statement or I guess theme from the West Farmers results, and you'd be able to kind of extrapolate this generally speaking to some of the other big retailers like a Woolworths, I think, or a Coles, it's this idea that it's kind of it's very likely that the type of sales and earnings growth that these companies have seen and that they've been through, think of like the panic buying, um, think of just the increase in just homeware goods when people were during uh, people during lockdown that the likes of a Bunnings and Kmart would have benefited from. That is going to settle down a little bit, which they they kind of emphasise because they're not really giving any guidance. Um, they would say they reference COVID because of COVID, but they're not giving really any guidance. But they're also kind of say, look, don't don't expect that this is going to just continue at this rate. Which I think to me appears obvious. I think if you're entering into a, a company like West Farmers today as an investment and it's part of your portfolio, you're doing so for the long term because that this this is the kind of company that's not some exploding growth company, but they do tend to pay a they're pretty safe and diversified, and they pay a pretty good dividend yield but you're doing it for the long term and you, you want to know you want to understand that this is 
quite a unusual period for West Farm. It's a good period and they've made, by all accounts, they've made the most of it. But I think when things settle, vaccines are rolling out, maybe travel, especially international travel, if that one day returns to normal, um, that kind of spending that they've seen might settle down a bit. Okay, let's jump to a company I find really exciting. I don't own shares in this company for any for a disclosure, but uh, I find them exciting regardless. And that is Redbubble. Now, I did introduce Redbubble for the first time last year around October. I don't think I spent a ton of time on the company itself, but if you're unacquainted, think of Redbubble as kind of this meeting point between artists and like retail consumers. So, so you have these artists that come to the platform of Redbubble, such as say illustrators or painters or graphic designers and Redbubble itself, the platform acts as this medium, this service to print on demand the illustrations, designs that these artists create. So I really mean it. You can print it on just about anything. If you haven't used Redbubble, it's worth just jumping on to have a look at what I mean. I've actually used it for a Christmas present in the past. It's very easy, very quick. Prices are good. And it's just it's generally a cool company just to watch as it grows its business and grow. It has revenue pretty much just about doubled for the half compared to the prior half. And so revenue came in at $353 million. They also managed to swing to an EBIT, so earnings before interest tax profit of $42 million. Compared to in that previous, the previous corresponding period was actually a loss of a couple million. So they've that's really good. Also importantly, their operating cash flow came in at pretty much well, pretty much doubled as well to 80 million compared to 41 million in the first half of the 2020 financial year. So really good results for Redbubble. Now they did speak to a few challenges in their release to the market during the week, one of them being the COVID-19 impact on global shipping and logistics, which hits their margins a little bit. Also the strengthening of the Australian dollar. They note that uh, they noted having about a $2.2 million currency impact to their overall earnings. And I'll come back to that on in just a sec. Because so important to note, Redbubble, whilst very much Australian, Australia is not their big goal scorer for the company. Like a lot of companies that are overseas, there's usually much bigger markets than Australia. So if you browse on their market release from the week, they kind of have this breakdown per region. So in terms of ranking just by gross transaction value, so the number, so the overall transactions going through the platform. North America is their biggest market, making up about 69% of total gross transaction value. Europe, mainland Europe is second at 14%. The UK is 11% and Australia and New Zealand is 6%, rest of the world 1%. So whilst North America is by far the biggest market and will be probably forever, at least it looks like this at this stage, the fastest growing for the half was actually the UK. It was up over 100% in terms of gross transaction value. So it's a very fast-growing market for them, but the but North America, the biggest. And I mentioned that currency impact before because given that North America is the biggest for Redbubble, there's also been some pressure on earnings from that market because the Aussie dollar has been on the climb again, which you might have noticed. For almost a year now, it, it, it fell during the actual market downturn in March last year but it's basically been on this steady climb against the US dollar since then for pretty much the entire time and it's sitting close to about 80 cents now so that obviously hurts so so you know if they're earning 
US dollars, that's, you know, that's hitting them in a, in a negative way for Redbubble. Now, jumping again, I'm kind of going to combine these next three companies all together. Not that they're the same at all. I'm not trying to generalize, but they are beneficiaries of the same thing. So those are BHP, Rio Tinto and Fortescue Metals Group. And all of them were just lavishing shareholders with dividends this week. Um, I was looking at this article. So BHP, their dividends are up by 55%, Rio Tinto up 26%, Fortescue Metal up 93%. And all three of these companies are big, big, big beneficiaries of the iron ore price um, that we've seen just up near you know, record highs at the moment. And when I say at the moment, I mean, it's been it's been climbing up and climbing up since 2020, especially it was kind of like around May, June that it started to really climb up. And it's currently about 164, 165 US dollars a ton for iron ore. And for context, the, the, you know, the start of 2020, it was around more like $90 a ton. So it's big change there. Now, like I said, they don't, that's not the entirety of these businesses. Uh, BHP, for example, yes, they were able to achieve like record actual iron ore production, but their copper was also pretty strong for them as well. That's helped them to, um, to deliver the kind of results that they've delivered this half. But I have to say Fortescue was um, definitely a standout. And I kind of think in some ways, I guess we all expected it to be a, a bit of a standout. But the other thing I was reading is that their iron ore shipments, their earnings, their actual operating cash flow for this half of Fortescue, so all of that, all of it surpassed any half year in the history of the company. So it's just been a cracker of a, of a year or in this reporting part, a half year for Fortescue Metals. And like I said, absolutely smashing their normal dividend records. Their interim dividend that they declared was $1.47 per share. So that's just for the interim. So really good there for if you're a shareholder of Fortescue Metals. Okay, and that is a bit of an update on what some of the companies have been doing. So that was Domino's, West Farmers, Redbubble, few of the miners there at the end but thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode of the podcast i think next episode will be pretty similar we've got a lot of continued a lot of more earnings season uh, news to keep updated on if you want to hear about anything particular let me know if you have a question for the show let me know too you can always shoot those through to market pulse podcast at gmail.com as always thank you for tuning in please i would love you to leave any kind of feedback or review or star rating on the podcast platform of your choice but otherwise have a great day have a great week thanks for tuning in again cheers